Imagine a world where men stepped up and answered God's call to reach their full potential. Imagine a world where men put their faith and trust in God unwaveringly and without qualification. Imagine a world where men lived out God's purpose for them in everything they do. It's not my credit to take explores the awe and wonder of how God shows up in the lives of strong, principled Christian men from all walks of life. Get ready to laugh, to cry, and to be transformed. I'm your host, Dr. Ed Slover, faithful husband, loving father, loyal friend, and unapologetically Christian. Welcome to the It's Not My Credit to Take podcast. Hey, Basil, how are you? I'm doing great, Ed. Wonderful. My guest today is Basil Denno. I was recently introduced to Basil by my mother-in-law and had a chance to learn about his story, and it's definitely one you want to hear. Nearly six and a half years ago, Basil founded Vertical Empowerment, an organization where he works as a leadership and business coach for vice presidents, C-suite executives, directors, and business owners. He started the company because he desires to see leaders transform themselves and those around them. He believes that every leader has the potential to make a substantial and meaningful impact on an organization and the people in their charge. Prior to starting Vertical Empowerment, he served in multiple leadership roles for Novo Nordisk, a global healthcare company that provides treatment for millions of people living with diabetes, obesity, and rare blood and endocrine diseases. In addition to his work, Basil volunteers at Kensington, Kensington Community Church in, nor in the northwest suburbs of Detroit. That was a mouthful, Basil. <laughs> and he's been married to his wife for 29 years, and they have three kids. Basil, thanks so much for taking time to be on the It's Not My Credit to Take podcast. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. I, I made it almost all the way through that read and then just completely fumbled at the end. I mean, that, that's that, that's the life of a Cleveland Browns fan. But um, I was very pleased that my mother-in-law connected us. I mean, she's in the fight and, you know, trying to help us show up better as men in the world. How did the two of you meet? Yeah, well, that she is, like you said, she is in the fight. And I met her through Kensington. She's uh, been a longtime volunteer there. Um, I would have to say one of the pillars of the church, uh, incredibly faithful, but, you know, one of the leaders who, um, you know, leads uh, many other, many other volunteers in the ushering and greeting yeah, she's a she's a wonderful lady, no doubt about it. So tell us about your background and how you ended up where you are in your life today. Mm, all right. Well, I guess I'm going to have to go back to uh, childhood there, Ed. And I was born and raised in Detroit. Um, parents were immigrants, both coming from Iraq. And, you know, I have to say that um, we had humble living uh growing up they didn't have a lot of money my dad came here with really nothing he came to you know for an education but then um you know uh, once you know that was accomplished um and he was married uh, to my mother you know and they both came here you know and established full time um i'm the youngest of five so uh within that within that order there uh they had their hands full but they also had the priorities and they were that we always had a roof over our head, uh, food on the table, uh, family was very important, church and education. 
So um, in order to do that with five children and one income at that time, um, you got to be very resourceful. And I have to say they were very resourceful people. Um, rarely did we ever buy anything new. Uh, the house we lived in was a house that my dad purchased and had moved over to a plot of, you know, land. And, um, you know, it was always do it yourself, never hired anybody. I was used to just hand me down clothes, um, many times from my brothers and sister, uh, sisters. And, uh, other times I didn't even know where they came from. They just came in a plastic bag. Um, and we repurposed everything, you know, my dad saw something, picked it up, you know, fixed it up. And next thing you know, it's in our living room, you know, growing up as a kid, that was, you know, exciting. It was always challenging, but I have to say, um, you know, once you start to experience things as you're growing and you're interacting with other people, um, you want more. And uh, many times I was, I would have to, you know, if I'm being honest, I was, uh, I was a bit embarrassed of, uh, of, of, of those things in our, in our lives. I was, um, I have to say that I was really influenced by a, a family, a relative who a very successful businessman. He uh, owned a car dealership and, um, you know, a person, very humble person, person who was seen as a uh, community leader, a philanthropist, always giving. And but something just really struck me about him that was like success. Um, he had these amazing clothes. They were all tailor made, everything right down to his his shoes. And as a young man, I have to say there was something that really caught my eye and um, his uh, his shirt sleeve. He had a monogram on there and it was his name on that. And seeing that as, as a young man and wanting, you know, more things, I kind of set that as my site for success. That was something that I really wanted to work towards. So I worked hard, um, got an education, undergraduate degree, graduate degree, my first position, you know, at work and um, started to experience, you know, success and started to you know, growing my career, different positions, and get to the point where, you know, I was purchasing the things that I wanted that kind of defined what this success was. And then I reached the point where I had the opportunity to uh, have my first suit and shirts made. And when the tailor uh, asked me, what do you want monogram? Should I put your initials on there? I said, no. I want my name on there. So that's a little bit about my uh, my background, my 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 upbringing there. But I have to say that um, from that point on, uh, I was still ex you know experiencing a lot of success at work and growing. But life started to get more involved, more complicated with many layers, marriage, children. Again, I mentioned the career advancement with higher responsibilities and leadership and then um, leadership positions in my church. I was very involved, you know, still in the church. And, and something started happening me, to me um, during that time. And um, I started to experience insecurity. I uh, went from being this incredibly confident person. In fact, my job relied on being 
front and center in front of people and being in a boardroom to over a period of years, just losing that confidence and becoming very insecure, um, ridden with anxiety. And I, um, I couldn't understand it, couldn't make sense of it. I, um, I grew up kind of learning that you don't share your problems, you know, outside, you know, with people, you just kind of keep them to yourself. So I was very fearful of, of talking to other people about it and just the judgment of what people would think. So I went into protection mode is the best way I can explain that. And I did a pretty good job, I would have to say, of just masking, you know, the problem. Um, many times, you know, I mean, I did seek help, you know, from my physician. And so he prescribed prescription drugs. Um, I was trying self-help things like you wouldn't believe, whether it was reading material, whether it was doing types of exercises or things, just all kinds of crazy stuff I was doing just to really cover it up or feel like I was addressing it. And then occasionally alcohol that I would uh, rely on that uh, would calm those, those nerves down. And I have to say this really affected every aspect of my life. Um, it got worse and worse. Uh, I mean, it, to the point where I'll, I'll never forget, even was in a small group, you know, learning how to parent, love, you know, love and parent your, your children. And uh, we're just going around in a circle, you know, and just the anticipation of, of sharing my or, or introducing myself. I was so, you know, nervous and, and, and stuttering. Um, it got that bad. Um, during this time, I have to say that um, my wife and I were were trying to figure some things out. Uh, we were experiencing some challenges. When I said it impacted every aspect of my life, um, it, it it impacts you know impact my marriage, my relationships, and uh, we were at a point where we were trying to figure some things out in in, in our life. And um, my wife, you know, uh, accepted an invitation to Kensington Church. Uh, she started to go. And for me, it was unheard of because of the church that I grew up in. And my parents were very involved, part of planting that church. But we started to, um, and I started to go, but just kind of hearing from a distance and one foot in, one foot out. But as I started to hear the word of God, started to understand um, God from a, a loving standpoint and uh, what his true love is, that he's, you know, a merciful God, a patient God, a faithful God. Um, it started to really change my, my image of uh, who he was. He wasn't a person who was looking, you know, to punish me. I wasn't being punished for, you know, things that I've done, you know, in the past and my, my sins. And, you know, because those are things that were going through my mind, things that I felt, you know, were haunting me. And, and um, I just kept striding to do whatever I could to please God. But like I said, I just kind of learned who he truly is and a different God, a different side of him. But that was a point I would have to say that um, when it started resonating with me and as things uh, became worse and worse, I did reach the point where I exhausted everything. Um, I was at my, my lowest point. I just wanted to 
crawl up in a closet and and, and not come out. Um, the uh, just felt like this internal battle that was going on. I didn't want to rely on you know prescription drugs or anything else, um, but I was just tired. I was really tired. The anxiety just you know overcame me, and that was a point of um, of surrendering. Um, I'll never forget. I was on my knees. I had my arms out, and I was just begging and pleading for God to come into my life. And um, I have to say that um, things did change after that, but it wasn't like the flip of a switch. It was very gradual. Uh, the more that I was, uh, I learned about God, the more that I was in the word, uh, the more I trusted and the more I trusted in him and his word and really just embraced his love, um, the more I was able to overcome now, something kind of significant really happened at, uh, at, at one point here, and I had another opportunity to uh, uh, get some new suits uh, made and shirts, and I'm back at the tailor again, and Taylor at the end said, okay, what do you want, you know, put on your monogram for your shirts? And I said, do the same thing, put my name, Basil, on there. So I felt a little bit of a uneasiness, I would have to say, at that time, but really didn't think much of it, just kind of dismissed it. I left, got in my car, I got on the road, and as I started to drive, this question came into my mind, why your name? And I thought about it. Um, only answer that I could come up with was um, the success, accomplishment, and, it felt good, but anything that I, I came up with just didn't feel like it was a right answer. It was a good answer, especially where I was at, you know, now in my in my spiritual walk. So I went home and I um, had dinner with the family. I shared this with them and I said, you know, this is what happened. I think God is telling me to take this off. You know, I'm, I'm done with it. It's my past life and, you know, no long, no longer need that anymore. So my daughter, middle daughter, who was 10 years old at the time, she said, Dad, did you ever think about putting scripture in place of your name? And I'm like, no, I didn't think about that. But, you know, it sounded like a great idea. So uh, she asked, OK, well, what scripture would you put on there? And honestly, I didn't have a go-to scripture at the time. But as the family was talking, and then John 3.16, they, they, they suggest, God so loves the world. They gave his one and only son. So I thought, what a great idea. Got excited about it. You know, here I am in the confines of my own home and, and uh, you know, trying to be that spiritual leader with the family. I said, you know what? I'm going to call the tailor up tomorrow and tell him this is what we want done. So I did that. He kind of thought I was a little bit uh, crazy, really didn't understand what, what that all meant or what I was doing. He just said, send me a picture of it. I'll do whatever you want. Well, I did that. And it took uh, six to eight weeks for the shirts to come in. And they came in, you know, eventually. And 
hung them up. I looked at them and it's kind of like new clothes. You want to wear them. But something was happening to me, you know, before those shirts came in and all these questions started going through my mind. What if people, what are they going to think? What if somebody asks, what are you going to tell them? And, you know, you mentioned the company that I worked with and it's a Fortune 500 company and, and uh, global. And uh, I was in a very high profile position where eyes were on you all the time. And um, I led over a thousand people, you know, in my division. So all these things started to really go in my mind of, of doubting and just questioning, you know, um, what I was doing here. But, you know, like I said, the shirts came, they looked good. I wanted to wear them. So I started that, you know, but what I found myself doing was that um, normally when I, you know, uh, have a suit coat on or, or a sweater, you know, I like to have my sleeve hang out. It always felt good to have my name, you know, showing there. But this time I really found that I was allowing it to be hidden, go up mm-hmm. under the, the sleeve. Uh, found myself, you know, putting my hand or keeping my hand under a, a table when I'm in a meeting instead of, uh, you know, just holding my hand up or or using this hand as, you know, I'm always in a thinking position like, you know, with my hand on my face, but I'm using the other hand. And this went on for about a month and I was really just um, struggling, I would have to say, and just felt out of character. So there was one evening where it was a Sunday night and I, I always traveled every week and I was packing for that week, uh, the next day. And I, uh, I just started talking to God and I just said, God, I think, I think I got this wrong. I, I don't think that this is what your plan was for me. Uh, you see me that I'm, I'm, I'm out of character. I'm not myself. And I know part of being a Christian, or at least I felt part of being a Christian was, you know, just to be natural, to be yourself, to engage people. So I just kept going on and on like this for five minutes. And then I stopped. And all I heard was, if you deny me in front of man, I'll deny you in front of my father. Hmm. Hmm. And Ed, I have to say that um, that uh, broke me. It was it was it was it was a moment where I just came to my knees, and I'm like, "Oh my God, what have I been doing all this time?" But what God revealed to me um, in that moment there is that my identity was in people and not in Him. I cared more. Well, my most of my life, all I cared about was you know, pleasing people or, or what people thought about me than who God says that I am. But even more than that, when, when, when that, you know, that realization came over me, um, what God exposed in that moment was that I was living in fear. And honestly, if I'm being really honest here, I was living in fear most of my career. Because of that, always worrying about other people and what they what they think. And that's what, you know, was overcoming. That's what had a, a, a grip on me. And when this when this was exposed, um, it was another another turning point in my life because um, 
it completely changed my my thoughts. It can change my my behavior and and my heart. It it, it changed. Um, now that when I started to focus more on you know other people and not you know always worrying you know about things, worrying about people, but just truly seeing people, engaging people, being open and honest. It's not to say I wasn't doing this before, but it's different when you're doing it without worrying, okay, hmm. of ramifications, yep. about reception of how people are going to receive something or think, and and not living in that fear. Because again, it was the fear that, you know, really drives a lot of behaviors. So it was different this time. And what proceeded from there in my, in my uh, career and my leadership, I could have never dreamt of. I could have never uh, uh, anticipated um, the 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 uh, impact that it started to have, you know, on the people around me, the loyalty, the accomplishments. Uh, we were hitting records and 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 leading and doing things, you know, my team that uh, never before, and it was all because I would have to say that. Um, I started to just really embrace not only who I was, but living it out in a way to um, be very transparent. Um, you know, one example was I, I had a health condition, uh, prostate cancer. Uh, I was diagnosed with that. And, you know, I didn't know what I was going to. I was going to, you know, I, I did surgery uh, to have it removed, but I didn't know how much I was going to share with, with my team. And um, part of me wanted to be kind of private about it, just take a couple of weeks off, have it done. And, you know, because, again, I'm fear of how people think. Are they going to think less of me as a leader, that I'm not strong and this and that? Well, um, my, my coach at the time, you know, he challenged me with the question about that. What are you going to do? And so I decided that I, I would tell my team. Um, and this is just an example, one example. Uh, so I told my directors we were – we had a, a meeting, a pre-planning meeting. And at the end of the meeting, I, I shared with them, hey, here's what's going on in my life. And what happened was I, I never would have anticipated. Um, one of the directors, um, he, said, he asked everybody to stand up and hold hands. And uh, he prayed. And this was a guy, I have to say, that um, I was even button heads with. Okay, we didn't see eye to eye on a lot of things, but this man lists in prayer. And um, I never, never anticipated that. And then two weeks later, I had to tell, you know, the first line, you know, I didn't have to, but I decided to share, you know, uh, at the end of an, another meeting with um, not only those directors, but my first line, you know, managers. And it was a room of about 100 people. And I shared this with them. And at the end of it, of sharing with or during it, um, I broke down and I cried for the first time. And it didn't happen to me before, even when I was, you know, presented with the diagnosis and everything and, you know, in front of my family, nothing. But, you know, in that moment, I just, you know, was overcome. And um, 
I just to say, you know, I, I felt, you know, the, the thoughts always go through your head, like, you know, what a fool, you know, I felt, you know, very vulnerable. And, you know, was that a mistake? But the engagement that I uh, encountered with people uh, from that um, was incredibly powerful, I have to say. One, you know, um, something like that really uh, opened up a lot of other people, other men who, you know, went through the same thing, who never spoke about it, uh, were now open, you know, about it. But um, believers, you know, were coming forward and um, starting to make connections there and, 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 and trying to, you know, encourage me, even praying for me. Um, I could go on and on about this, but it's just one example of, of just um, not worrying, of, um, of, of, you know, seeing people equally, not letting a title, a position, the responsibilities of that affect how we interact with people. And it completely, completely, um, the impact that it has, the, you know, how loyal people became and how hard people worked, you know, was amazing. Those are the things, like I said, I experienced that could never have, have predicted before. Which seems counterintuitive to everything that we're taught. We're, we're not supposed to bring spirituality or religion into the workplace. And it's fascinating because when I've had an opportunity to, to do that, it actually enhances things. Now, you in your in the sort of the arc of your life you you describe what m all of us go through in that when we're children we we need to seek external validation it first starts with the adults in our lives because they need to teach us what good looks like and then we transition into adolescence and in, in, through our teenage years and we seek external validation more in from our social circle. And this makes sense because we have to cooperate with people to get on in the world. But at some point, we need to graduate away from the pursuit of external validation into more internal validation or you know, spiritual connection. If you had the opportunity to talk to a younger version of yourself. What, how would you describe the pitfalls of pursuing validation from other people, pursuing status and money and material gain? What advice would you give a younger Basil? Yeah, that's a really good question. Kind of make me chuckle a little bit when you say a younger Basil. But um, but so true in that, because, um, you know, it's interesting, Ed, that we uh, I heard this saying one time that, you know, we live in a forward um, motion, but we learn looking looking back. And, um, you know, these last few months, I would have to say I've been on this incredible learning curve. And, you know, the learning has just been through a multitude of things, through circumstances that have happened, people in my lives. Um, different studies that, you know, biblical studies that I've, I've been in, um, messages, you know, I have heard and, uh, and being in the word, you know, myself and, and the learning that I have uh, really gained and gleaned uh, has been more wisdom. Um, because what I've learned is that, 
you know, wisdom is when you uh, helps you connect things and, and gives you insight into, into other things. And I started to get some real clarity on, on some of the past and the dynamics that were going on that kind of led to a lot of the events of what I described earlier. You, you were really spot about the validation because um, I learned through one of the studies, Wild at Heart, you know, John Eldridge was stating that um, there's two major driving forces in a, in a man's life. And that's one, the yearning for validation. And then the other one is the fear of exposure, which is almost like the imposter syndrome. But it gave me such, it was just kind of one of those aha moments for me because it gave me such clarity in understanding what was going on in those dynamics as a, as a young man, you know, growing up. And yes, I, you know, I, I was yearning for validation at every stage of my, of my life. The advice that I would, I would give myself, because the, the, the realization was also that throughout my life, I was always searching for an identity. I was always searching for identity, things to define who I am. And, you know, as, as, as a young person, well, your identity you know, is your family. And then, you know, it graduates from there. You start to go to school. You're, you're exposed to the world. You're exposed to other things. You know, your identity starts to become your ethnicity. Your the identity starts to become your, 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 your faith or your religion, whatever it may be. Your identity, you know, starts to become in other things, title, position, material goods. It just starts to grow. There's no end to it. And one of the things that, you know, Eldridge defines in his book is that um, it was the best definition I, I heard of the world. And the world is if you take all these identities, these influences that we have going around and bring them all together in a system, that is the world around us mm-hmm. trying to tell us who we should be, how we should act, what we should eat, how we should look, what we should own, all these things, non-endless as opposed to who God says that we are. So what I would, you know, urge a a young man um, is to really uh, answer this question. Who are you? Or who do you believe that you are? Because the, 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 um, the importance between of, of, of answering that question or knowing what the answer to that question is, um, is knowing that you become what you believe. So our beliefs dictate our behaviors in what we become. So it's so important to know your identity and who are you. But honestly, uh, the most important question for anybody, young man, for anybody to be able to answer, to be able to answer that identity question of, of who do you believe that you are, is to be able to answer the question is, who do you say Jesus is? Just hmm. like Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? And if they don't know the answer, a young person doesn't, that's okay. But figure that one out. Who is Jesus? And in contemporary culture, though, Basil, I mean, identity is front and center. 
whether it's gender identity, whether it's, you know, you know, the culture, you know, maybe sowing confusion or division with respect to identity, you referenced ethnicity. Certainly we have to account for, for race. And so, and you have, you have three daughters. Imagine if you had a son, imagine if you had a teenage son and you asked him the question, son, who do you say Jesus is? And he's stumped. He he's trying to he's wrestling with it. He's working through it, and he just can't get that answer. How would you answer that question to help him understand who do you say Jesus is? Yeah. Well, first of all, Ed, um, if I had a boy, it would totally mess up the system in my household right now. <laughs> it probably wouldn't. <laughs> I probably wouldn't know what to do, but um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding on that. Um, but that's a really good. That's a really good question, and um, it is a big question. You know, who is Jesus? If they couldn't, if they couldn't answer it, um, yeah, um, and I honestly, I uh, I'll share with you what I you know share with any any youth. Uh, male or or female, and that is trying to reinforce to them um, that they were created uh, on purpose for a purpose. That um, they're not here on this earth just to consume. But even at that, you know, to try to understand that, to try to grasp that, um, they they have to understand that. Um, they're going to go through challenges in life. They're going to encounter circumstances. They're going to encounter hardship. They're going to encounter uh, many different things. We just know that. If you're you know, walking and breathing air on this earth, you're going to encounter problems. The question comes down to is, you know, what are you going to, who are you going to run to? What are you going to run to for help? And is it something or someone that you can hold on to with absolute confidence that's going to help you through it? Yeah. Because we run to many things, you know, and I could honestly, like I said, reflect back on my life and see all the different things that, you know, I ran to or held on to that were just quicksand or false foundation that didn't save me. And even in that point, you know, at that, that time in my life where I was at my bottom, you know, and just ridden with the anxiety and anything I held on to was not firm enough that I could truly trust until it brought me to my knees. Yeah. Basil, do you, do you find yourself on any level still struggling with that, with that insecurity or find yourself seeking the validation of others, even after all, all that you've learned and all that you've worked through? Yeah, it creeps in on me. Oh yeah, it, it, it creeps in. It's, it's there, you know, it's kind of like that thorn, you know, we could call it, you know, that thorn and everyone's could be uh, something different. Everyone's is something different, you know, but um, it does creep up on me. But again, it's what do I believe, you know, in that moment? You know, uh, what's triggering it? 
And most of the times I recognize, you know, it's not the voice of my father that the thought, the thought most comes through my, my mind. And that's where I have to ground myself again in the, in the truth and extinguish, you know, that to overcome it. So, so, so yes, it, 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 it still, you know, is real. And then the second point, your second question of that was? With regard to external validation, still seeking the validation from others versus either finding it within yourself or finding it through Jesus. Yeah. So, um, no, really good question. Because I, uh, I've, I've, I realized recently that I've been living in this tension of, of relevance and living life on purpose. And how I realized that was when people come along and ask me, you know, what are you doing? What do you do now? You know, especially people, so I don't work for Novo Nordisk any, anymore. That's, you know, like seven years, past seven years. But, um, you know, whether it's people from my past, whether it's, you know, family members, because, you know, as you uh, pointed out earlier, I, uh, I do leadership and business coaching, but then also I do a lot of volunteer work, uh, discipleship, you know, work, uh, you know, with the church. And also leading a couple of different groups are uh, part of leading. So, um, you know, a lot of times I, I, I will wake up in a day and I will say, what am I doing with my life? You know, um, and, and because, again, it's hard, you know, coming from this corporate world where it was, you know, very high. Pace. It was sales. You know, I was on the sales end of things. So it was all about goals. It was all about accomplishments. You know, so you tend to you know, those things tend to get into you and, and use that as your as your measurement, where we know that in 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 the kingdom of God, it's not about measuring those things, but it's about the impact that you're making in people's lives, the things you can't see most of the times you can't measure, I should say. You can see the change in people's lives. So I, gra- I, I grapple with that, you know, and sometimes those questions go there, but I found myself when people would ask, so what do you do? You know, I found myself feeling I had to answer something substantial. Hmm. And it was a realization, like I said, most recently where I was, you know, that, that validation was still creeping up on me, mm-hmm. feeling I need to have that validation. Now I realize that, like I said, and 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 ground myself back into, you know, the truth, and and then you know, something will will happen, you know, where God brings somebody into my life, and just that's my validation of what my purpose is, you know, where God brings somebody in my life, where I share something with, you know, many times my brokenness that helps that person, or I point them to Christ. It would be a really cool answer for someone to say in response to the question, what do you do? It's like, I live in truth. <laughs> I mean, it just, how, how cool would that be? I think as you were yeah. talking, I'm thinking, huh, I might actually start doing that. Or, I mean, to the extent that I, you know, this flawed being could live in truth. I try to live in right. truth. It's really, it's fascinating. I love that. I love that answer. 
you know, but we just feel a lot of time. We just feel compelled that we, you know, we have to answer something when um, I think it's okay. I've just, you know, after this realization, I just got comfortable where it's, or, or, or I should say not just got comfortable, but, you know, just came to the conclusion. It's okay to answer almost like that. You know, I live in the truth, but I don't have to like, you know, put, make something look so substantially significant for people to understand. It's okay if I tell them, hey, you know what? I spent some time with a guy today, you know, and helped him out going through some challenges in life and trying to figure things out. Yeah, for sure. It's okay. We don't need to have, you know, I think we just have to really pay attention. What do we tell people? What do we say? Why do we say it? Yeah. And of course the story first starts with us. It's the story we yes. tell ourselves about ourselves and it becomes that narrative. And then obviously that, you know, you know, I, I often say that how people see us is how we show up, but it's, mm. it's way more interesting to try to uncover why we're showing up that way in the first place. Yes. So, well, very true. Yours has been yours has been a, a, a really interesting journey, and I, I'm so happy you took time to to share it. I'm I'm ecstatic that you've you've been able to find peace and calm in Jesus, even amid the challenges that life you know continues to to give us. So, thank you so much for sharing. Before we before we wrap up, would you would you mind praying us out? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Father, we uh, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for this day. We thank you for the breath in our lungs, Father. We know that um, there's no reason we should be waking from our sleep, but it's you that breathes life into us, Father. And Father, we acknowledge that um, in this day, uh, you are at work. You have already been at work. You are ahead of us, Father. Father, we are grateful that you um, choose us to be a part of your work. So, Father, um, we ask, we ask that you just give us the eyes to see what you see, the ears to hear what you hear, Father, and the hearts of compassion and, and courage, Lord, just to respond, just obedient, to step forward into being a part of what you are doing, Lord, and the impact and what you are revealing in other people's lives. Father, we know that you work in and through us. You are in us, Father. So we trust in that, what you are doing. I pray, Lord, that um, the things that were said today just uh, were able to resonate with somebody, to open, open a door, even some place in somebody's life, a part of somebody's life that was um, been buried, uh, hidden, put in a box, whatever it may be, but that it's uh, your word, your truth, Father, that just um, exposes that and lets somebody know that it's okay to talk about it. It's okay to come forward. And, and most of all, Lord, that we just come to you, that we look to you, Father. We thank you, Lord. And we pray this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.
Basil, thank you so much again for taking time and sharing your story. Really appreciated. And it's a powerful message. Thank you very much. You're welcome, Ed. Thank you for having me again. Sure thing. God bless. You can contact the show at it's not my credit to take.com. We'd love to hear from you. God bless.